This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. 7. By Bill Allerton For the sake of enlightenment, I have to tell you that my birthday is Christmas Day. I'm not going to tell you which one, but this is pertinent to my assumption, and some say it accounts for my holier-than-thou attitude. You see, I suppose I was no different than most kids coming up to the age of seven. It's a place where I've remained emotionally for the rest of my life. Seven, for me, was the beginning of a voyage of discovery, a discovery that it was all right to think as a child while growing older and keeping that freshness of eye and thought that I'd enjoyed previously. What changed me was that last Christmas and my last 24 hours as a six-year-old. At that time, we lived in a small mid-terrace house not far from town. There was little room in these houses for anything other than the bare essentials, and therefore very few places to hide anything. Christmas and birthday presents were easy to discover. This particular Christmas and birthday I set out to find as many as I could. I found them all, and by shaking the boxes and feeling at the parcels, I identified each and every one. I think you know what's coming now. Christmas morning that year was the most anticlimactic moment I have ever experienced. It changed me forever. Sometimes seven, when you least expect it, can do that to a man. The box was a locked wooden casket in the bottom of Timothy's grandfather's chest, under a sheaf of old letters and vellum share certificates for Malta's mill, long since gone and now buried beneath a crumbling swathe of council housing. Timothy himself hadn't been in this attic since he was a child until your man's death, and now here he was, all thirty-three and feeling seven, and delving both arms into the chest with the strength of a will behind him, and all necessary permissions granted. He lifted out the box and showed it to O'Keefe. There, there, there it is. He shook the box gently in the dust mid-air of the loft. O'Keefe sat at the edge of the ladder with his feet trying to dangle nonchalantly down the hole. His socks showed short and white. He pulled at the knees of his trousers. Fine, fine, fine box it is, and there's no mistake of that. Timothy shook the box again. From inside, something hard knocked against the dark wood as if it were trying to gain their attention. Listen, Pat, will you just listen? He shook the box again. There, there she is. Do you hear it? What I hear, said O'Keefe, is an old box with an old rattle and nothing but your guesses and suppositions as to what might be in there. You've no soul, O'Keefe, said Timothy. I was seven, remember. And at seven, a man can see things. Why, a man at seven can tell you the shape and size of all the toys in all the Christmas packages in the world and wake up Christmas morning knowing full well what each and every one contains and still not be disappointed. He shook the box. The knock came once more. 
There she is. There she is, indeed, said O'Keefe, dragged and pushed back into seven and finding that the shoes still fit. There she is. Timothy reached into his pocket and took out a brown paper envelope. He tipped keys out of it, onto the floor. One of them was small and hollow with a loop twist to rub gently through the brass in places where a finger might fit and wonder. Timothy's hand went straight to it. There she is. Well, open it then, said O'Keefe, as Timothy sat there weighing the key in his hand. You've taught him nothing else since the bar, and now you sit there like the smile on a pint of good Guinness and with no more brains in your head than when you were seven. He sensed Timothy's hesitation and the reason behind it. He's dead, man. He can't come back and flay the hide from you this time. Anyway, it's all yours now. The will said so. Timothy looked up. The will said, to my grandson Timothy, there was to be an old chest and all the contents therein. You know, it's terrible hard to go disturbing another man's memories and keepsakes, and somehow it seems even more so now that he's gone. And anyway, the will never said anything about making me responsible for all the things that made him what he was. O'Keefe placed a hand on the edge of the ladder and shifted around. It was implicit. The man knew what was in there, and I think that he knew that you knew, or he wouldn't have left it to you. And anyway, until you open the box, we still don't know if you've been right all these years, or if you've been carrying around this guilt all that time for the knowledge of what may yet turn out to be no more than a glass paperweight. Do we? Timothy fitted the key into the lock. His fingers drifted into the rubbed edges of the twist and turned it once then again back. It wasn't locked, he said quietly, the words trembling to held breath. With both thumbs he lifted the edge of the lid and the air inside, the old and dark air from a different kind of town, from a town where Malta's mill still crushed the dark and roasted grain and filled the gardens and washing lines with a fine musky dust, mixed with the new the new air that was Timothy, whose breath shuddered out as if it were his last and the devil no more than three paces behind and gaining fast. He placed the open box on the floor between them. There she is. Aye, said O'Keefe, oh aye, there she is, right enough. He looked suddenly older than his years, as if the weight of the box and its contents had dragged his face and skin downwards until they were too heavy for a smile to bear. Oh, Timothy, you were right. All these years you were right, and you with that secret inside, and how it must have rattled some days like the box. And only you had the key, and you never even shared it with me until right now this very afternoon. What a man you must be! What a soul! of discretion. Timothy stared into the box, as if his soul were being sucked into the dark metal lying there amongst the pristine cuttings from the Tribune and the Herald, crisp and sharp still as the day they were printed, kept here in the dark with Timothy's secret, and now... I, he said, to no one, or nothing in particular. I, said O'Keefe. They sat there in silence for a moment as the blaze that had been the opening of the box subsided into a worrying glow of acceptance and responsibility. Then, take it out, said O'Keefe, 
No, said Timothy, not yet. I want to be seven a while longer. O'Keefe looked at him quizzically. Timothy smiled. I told you, O'Keefe, you have no soul. He reached into the box and lifted a clipping from beneath the gun. He laid it on the flat of his other palm and read the date on the corner. Here, Pat, look at this. 14th September, 1937. O'Keefe leaned over, and they sat on the edge of the hole like two crows on a wire. Like they had been through school, like they had been through girls and loud nights in dark street bars, and now, here in this loft, in these memories. And it seemed that that was the way of things, and rightly so. Hey, Tim, breathed O'Keefe, this is Antrim. Look, there behind the coffin. There's that bluff of stone that looks like a god's footprint. I'd know it tomorrow as good as today. Conlon, read Timothy. He sat back into the light. Sean Conlon, suspected informer, taken from the house and shot in the man's own garden in front of his wife and two daughters. When will the killing stop, it says here said Timothy, and the cloth appealed for peace and no retribution. Amen, said O'Keefe, as always. He pulled a slip of paper from the small pile. Geraghty, Michael, 27, 1942, June, and with the flowers in full bloom, too. God, but this place is lovely, then. It should be, said Timothy. The soil here is turned like no place else on earth. O'Keefe flicked through the remainder. God, Timothy, but this is sickening. This is a six-guinness pile of paper, if ever I saw one. Timothy lifted one and held it gently, almost reverently, on the flat of his hand. February 9th, 1958. Right here in town. Here, Pat. You may not wish to. But I think you'd better see this. And remember, sometimes wishes can't be obliged by the truth. He handed the paper to O'Keefe, who took it and read from it as though the ink had been placed there just yesterday when he was seven, and watched as the box, the box that had held so many secrets, so many fond and loving knee-cradled secrets and memories, was locked and cramped and screwed and lowered into the ground and filled and never came back, and he knew there was no way it could, and now here it was, rearing back up out of the ground at him, and roaring in his ears with anger and pain. Granfer! My Granfer! God, Timothy, what is this place? A mausoleum of memories? Have we come here for our hopes to die? God, Timothy, what is this? Their eyes fastened on the gun as it lay in the box in dark blue steel expectation, and for a time it seemed aware and quiet, only because it wanted to be, and would remain so while ever they let it. Then, as suddenly as it came, the moment passed. The anguish drained from O'Keefe's face. God, Timothy, he said, it was a while ago, wasn't it? I never thought... I never thought I'd feel. Timothy placed a hand on his, and the silence of the thought behind the gesture soothed away the sting from out of the past and brought him smiling gently back to now, 
and the hopes they both had on the way here, with windows shushing at their loud voices and curtains flapping like widows' weeds in the dark, late, wonderful, warm, cold nights of the town. Timothy lifted up the gun. O'Keefe shifted nervously at the edge of the hole and seemed to withdraw somewhere deep inside himself, as if to stop himself from reaching out and taking the gun from Timothy. "'Be careful now,' he said. Timothy smiled and turned the gun in his hands, first this way, then that, feeling the cold, hard steelness of the thing, the unaccustomed weight now it was out of the box and had become a fact. He pulled back a small slide, and the barrel slid out to one side on a hinge as smooth as new silk. He spun it with a thumb. There were seven chambers, five of them empty, and two more filled with the horror and the possibilities of newspaper clippings as yet unprinted, just waiting to be read and saved pressed close inside the family Bible. He closed it quickly and spun the chamber. Look, he said, pointing the gun to his temple. This is what Grandpa said they did in the trenches, and sometimes for money and sometimes just for the hell of it. O'Keefe was on him like a shot. Four hands clamped over the gun and they fell back into the dust and the shadows with Timothy laughing like an Irish drain. O'Keefe screamed at him. Don't, for God's sake, Timothy, not even in jest, man. Timothy rolled around, belching out the tension of the last few minutes in great guffaws of laughter and tears that fell squeezed from his eyes held tightly shut in case he saw the true foolishness of the situation and had to take himself in hand before it had all gone. I wouldna, you fool, you great bloody fool, I wouldna. He opened and closed his eyes again quickly. But you should have seen your face. Christ, man, I thought a priest was coming with ten thousand Hail Marys and you with five minutes to say them before the devil caught you. Timothy sat up, his shoulders still shaking with great sobbing sighs. O'Keefe took the gun from him. He turned it over until his own fingers closed around the grip and the gun flowed and melted inside his hand until it fitted there as if it had always been. And why worry, it said, when things are in their place. And look, it said, it's as easy as pointing with your finger, saying, there, that point there, see, out there on the horizon. Now follow it along until you meet another man who says that his vision of the world is different to yours. And what you can't tell is that both of you are wrong. Only you know that he's more wrong than you, because he can't be inside of you, and he can never know just how right it all feels from inside, and that's what makes him a stranger. Jeez, Timothy, the sheer bloody hell of the thing. Give it back, said Timothy, snatching it from O'Keefe's hand where it hung like a leper's stick in his grasp. And now it was Timothy, tall, dark, strutting like a god, pushing, prodding, poking with small lightnings into great matters. Ah, Patrick, the sheer bloody power of the thing. He pushed back his jacket and hooked a thumb inside his braces. Look, Pat, do you see the pose? Sheer bloody John Wayne. Strange, said O'Keefe. You look just like your bloody grandfather. 
strange, said Timothy, sitting down and shaking his head. You know, said O'Keefe, I remember your man sitting up all night with a broody pigeon, and the way he held that bird so soft and gentle, and the way he stroked her, just like it was a woman's breast, all full of nippled and rounded and warm to the forbidden touch. Aye, said Timothy, remembering. Oh, aye, said O'Keefe, remembering. Strange, said O'Keefe. Strange, said Timothy. Strange, said O'Keefe. I mean the way he was. He shook his head to jar loose the thoughts that were cloying to the inside, giving them voice. I mean, a man like that. Granfer, said Timothy. Yes, your bloody Granfer. Your bloody Granfer killed my bloody Granfer. And now that I know it, what a Jesus am I supposed to do with that? It's in the past, said Timothy. What's in the past can't hurt us. But this is here and now, screamed O'Keefe, tugging the gun loose from Timothy's hand. It slid into his own hand and tracked towards Timothy. Perhaps this is it. Is this it, Timothy, my fine lad? The day of retribution with a big R, where the sins of the fathers come a-visiting on a Sunday, when the churches are empty and the bars not yet open. Come on now, Timothy. Pick one of the four horsemen and get ready to ride with him into oblivion. He levelled the gun at Timothy. Timothy dived and rolled behind the chest, screaming, You mad bastard, O'Keefe! Put the fucking thing down! Sweet Jesus, man, have you taken leave? No, said O'Keefe, lowering the gun. But I owed you that one. He smiled gently, almost to himself. But Christ, man, you should have seen your face. Timothy came slowly out from behind the chest, his shoulders hurting from the hit and roll of his panic, all laughter gone from them in the silence that dropped between him and O'Keefe. Christ, Timothy, said O'Keefe. Christ. Christ, said Timothy, if ever. He took the gun back from where it trembled in O'Keefe's grasp. He sat down at the edge of the hole and dropped the gun into his lap where he looked at it. Strange, he said. You're an awful man for strange these days, said O'Keefe. Strange days, said Timothy, looking at the gun. You'd think that something like this, all hard and cold and sharp corners, wouldn't somehow fit quite so well on a man, would you? It's the darkness in it said O'Keefe. The darkness inside the box, inside another box, and boxed inside other memories that we keep boxed because we like to have the key, and only let them out when we know they can't frighten us any more. You're an awful man for boxers these days, O'Keefe. Is it boxing day? O'Keefe looked across at the gun and nodded. It surely isn't Christmas. Perhaps we should put it back. In a while, said Timothy, picking up the gun. In a little while. Tell me about your grandfather. Oh, maybe there's not much to tell. He died when I was seven. O'Keefe hung his head a little and turned away from Timothy. But then you know that now. I don't remember much. Not really. He knew that if Timothy saw his face, he would know that he was lying but that's what friends do, and if other friends choose not to see what might be there, then that spelled it all out as large and plain as a fresh loaf. 
Let's eat, O'Keefe said, suddenly hungry. Put the bloody thing away and let's go down and stuff ourselves to the gills with food and the fine company of each and the other. Come on, Timothy, come on, lad. Timothy's face was dark. Tell me about your grandfather. Oh, let's see, said O'Keefe. He liked to eat. I think I must have inherited his appetite. Let's go downstairs and put heredity to the test, eh, Timothy? Timothy was motionless. Tell me about your grandfather. Jesus, Timothy, said O'Keefe. Stop going on about my grandfather and put that fucking thing down and come downstairs because right now you're scaring the shite out of me and I don't like it one little bit and Christ, you're a strange bastard tonight. Grandfather, said Timothy. Bastard, said O'Keefe. Let go. Christ, man, I was only seven. Only seven. Only seven, shouted Timothy. I told you, O'Keefe, you have no soul. He stood up and strode around the loft, pointing first at this and then that with a gun. Don't you know that seven is the age, the age where a man is set like a pattern unbreakable and coming in and going out with all the tides of his life and always, always on the inside where the plan is, always looking the same, being the same, being... Seven. Timothy, said O'Keefe, come and sit down. Right here, right here by me. Stop waving that fucking thing around, or I'll go down by myself, and then who cares what happens to you? I don't know. For you made a fair shite of everything else, haven't you? Timothy stood in the far corner, his back firmly towards O'Keefe. O'Keefe patted the floor beside him. Where's your wife, eh? She couldn't take it when the darkness took you. Off, off on a cloud somewhere and never came back or even asked you for money. You scared the shite out of her so far. Grandfather, said Timothy. Bastard, said O'Keefe. A silence fell between them. The silence of a gun under a closed hammer. But because of the years between them, it was oiled and polished and smooth as new silk. Timothy, said O'Keefe at last, his voice scarcely touching the surface of Timothy's thoughts. How could I tell you of what were only promises? Promises of things that I was only just beginning to recognise, things that perhaps were and then again perhaps weren't, because they never had the chance to blossom before it was all taken away. I can't even tell you about loss because until now I'd never let it through, and for now it's all too new and I haven't made sense of it yet. Timothy, don't ask for the things I don't have. Anything I have is yours. Your grandfather took the rest, and when I see you stood there with that thing looking like the tar and spit of him, why, I'm trying hard not to hate you right now, right where you stood, and the only thing that's stopping me is that you're Timothy, and not him. And I've known you all my life. And I know, I know, God help me, I know it wasn't you. Timothy ignored him. O'Keefe shrugged his shoulders as if that would slough off all the hurt that today had become in ways that he never knew existed. It didn't work. Timothy, please, dear God, you're scaring me. Put it down. Timothy turned and came to sit by him. He flicked the cylinder of the gun open and shook the contents of one chamber onto the floor. 
He closed the gun and spun it with his thumb. There, he said, it's safe now. I still don't like it, said O'Keefe. It's okay, said Timothy. They sat for a moment in a warmer silence then. Pat, said Timothy, I'm sorry about your grandfather. It's okay, said O'Keefe. I'm sure it wasn't your fault. You know, said Timothy, I used to feel sorry because I had a grandfather that came around on Sundays and holidays and you didn't. That's okay, said O'Keefe. I wouldn't have swapped. I never liked your grandfather anyway. He had a darkness on him sometimes. Even as a kid, especially as a kid, I could sense that. You know, he even came to the funeral. You know, said Timothy, I think we both lost a grandfather today. Sad, isn't it? said O'Keefe. Sad, said Timothy. And strange. Awful strange, said O'Keefe. Awful, said Timothy. Strange, said O'Keefe. And the laughter grew out of them and swelled until it filled the room and the gaps in their lives that had been left by a man impatient with words and anxious for change in his own time, which, of course, there never was, and perhaps never could be, except that here and now, in this room, and in these two people, there might just be a seed of that newness that was the basis of all decent hopes and wishes. They held each other, and rocked with their love and laughter inside of it and them. "'You know, you look just like him, really,' said O'Keefe. "'Oh, yes. And who might that be?' asked Timothy. "'John bloody Wayne,' said O'Keefe. Timothy looked at O'Keefe. O'Keefe, the short, the blonde, the quick look. All right, James, bloody Cagney, let's see how you look. O'Keefe shrank back as Timothy thrust the gun at him. No, no, Jesus, no! It's okay, said Timothy. Look. He pointed the gun into a corner of the loft and looked away despite himself. He squeezed the trigger. Click. Click. There now, said Timothy. See, it's quite safe. He pushed it back into O'Keefe's hands. Go on, give us your best James Cagney look. Jesus, a dog can do better than that. That's it. Pretend to shoot me. Ah, that's better. Squeeze the trigger. Come on, O'Keefe, don't be afraid. Be seven. Remember seven? Oh, I, said O'Keefe. Remembering. Well, that's all for this week's show, folks. I hope you enjoyed your free podcast from Urban Tiger Radio. And if you've hit that subscribe button, you'll be hearing from us again in a week's time. So it's a goodbye from me and a... From Nelly. Bye-bye. The coal that keeps the fire burning in the soul.